We tonight uh, are going to have a program that's moderated by Ariel Lovett. And Ariel Lovett is uh, the chair of the League's Education Committee. And Ariel comes to us from, uh, with a history of being involved both in executive leadership and as a volunteer with local health and social welfare organizations. I would, like to, uh, I would like to conclude by saying that I really hope that all of you support the League. We welcome you as members. We're very excited about the, the work we do, and we look forward to more presentations like this in the future. Welcome, Nevada County, and thank you to Nevada County Media for having us here this evening. Um, shout out to Center for the Arts, too, because we were going to be there, but we're all flexible and um, making the best of the opportunities that we have. So it is my pleasure. Thanks, Fran, for the introduction as well. It's my pleasure to get to introduce the guests who will be sharing information with us this evening, Natalie Adona and Gregory Diaz. Natalie, um, Natalie Adona is the Assistant Clerk Recorder Registrar of Voters for Nevada County. She's a deputy member of the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials, the CACEO, and the County Recorders Association of California. She currently serves as the chair of the CACEO Constitution and Bylaws Committee and is a member of both associations' legislative committees. Prior to joining the Nevada County Clerk Recorder's Office, she was the Senior Research and Learning Associate for the Elections Program at Democracy Fund, a private philanthropy based in Washington, D.C. Natalie's professional interests over the last 15 years center on elections and voting, our topic this evening, including public opinion surveys on the topic. She's the co-author of Understanding the Voter Experience and the co-author and principal investigator of Stewards of Democracy. Natalie began her career as a poll worker trainer in the San Francisco Bay Area in 2008 and 2009 and as a student researcher at the Election Administration Research Center at Cal. She has also worked for several elections and voting rights organizations, including maplight.org, Project Vote, and the Fair Election Center. Natalie holds a BA from the University of California at Berkeley, a JD from the American University Washington College of Law, and an MPA from AU School of Public Affairs. Welcome, Natalie, and thank you. Thanks. We also have Gregory Diaz. Mr. Diaz has held the office of clerk recorder and registrar of voters for Nevada County for 14 years. He was first recruited and appointed by the Board of Supervisors in 2007 to bring professionalism and regular order to a department that was in disarray. He was elected to the office for the first time in 2010 and re-elected in 2014 and 2018. Mr. Diaz also served as the county clerk recorder for the city and county of San Francisco for eight years and before that as assistant clerk recorder for four years. He also served in the San Francisco city attorney's office for six years, drafting legislation and litigation documents. Since taking office in Nevada County, Mr. Diaz has earned credentials as a professional election administrator both nationally and in California. He was elected by his peers in 2015 to the office of president of the County Recorders Association of California for a two-year term. In 2018, Mr. Diaz was one of five election officials in California leading their counties in adopting the California Voters' Choice Act. Mr. Diaz first came to Nevada County in 1996 when he and his wife Catherine purchased a ranch property in Mustang Valley where they raise alpacas. Still has 29. They have been full-time <laughs> residents since 2003. Mr. Diaz, who was raised in Philadelphia, studied abroad in Essex, England before matriculating to Swarthmore College, earning degrees in history and education. After obtaining a Pennsylvania teaching certificate, he taught middle school for several years and then pursued advanced studies at Rutgers University of Law. 
And we are so glad. You know, I just want to start by saying thank you. I, we were chatting on KNCO yesterday as well, and Tom said, you know, I feel, Tom Fitzsimmons, the host there, said I feel so confident in our election officials in Nevada County as, as we're in some particularly challenging times that we're experiencing sort of across the state and nation. So that was Tom's shout out to you. And, and you know, at the league, we've always found you to be very accessible and are really grateful during the, what must be a very busy time for you to take this time to prioritize educating our voters. So before we get started with the questions, yeah, how are you? How's it going? I mean, amid wildfires and pandemics and local fires and well, if I may, first of all, I'd like to thank the league, Fran, thank you very much for having us. Ariel, thanks for coming to moderate this. Um, I'm so proud and uh, pleased to be the Registrar of Voters for Nevada County. Uh, we do a good job. Uh, we're very transparent. Um, and I'd like to hand it over to Natalie because uh, things have changed out there in the public and uh, we're under immense pressure. Uh, before, our job was basically administering elections. We prepare and conduct elections. Uh, now we have an added layer of a elections, uh, we're defending elections uh, for many, many hours uh, during our day. So I'd like to turn it over to Natalie as she can explain um, uh, what we're dealing with these days. Sure. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Ariel, Fran, uh, and the League. Um, yeah, I think, you know, overall, we're doing good given the sort of time constraints around the recall. You know, we have our staff who are working very hard and very diligently to make sure that this election goes off and uh, goes smoothly. You know, that being said, uh, you know, one of the things that's sort of sticking in my mind nowadays is a recent call that election officials had to, well, not had to, but um, had the opportunity to participate in with the Department of Justice and the FBI. The Department of Justice has created the Task Force to Combat Threats Against Election Workers. Uh, this is a new task force, and it is a recognition, really, of what election officials have been saying for years now, that you know, the public discourse around elections, around politics, has become deeply fraught. And you know, election officials down from your poll worker up to uh, the state election directors and everyone in between have been experiencing an environment where threats are a major issue. You know, one of the things that I sort of reflect on with the people I know, uh, since I did start as a poll worker trainer in San Francisco, I never once thought in my life that I would have to teach de-escalation tactics to poll workers. Mm. You know, it was a sort of very process-oriented, you know, it, <laughs> people either come in to vote and they scan their ballot or they put it in an envelope and, you know, you teach them the process, opening, closing procedures, things like that. Now I have to have pretty deep discussions about voter intimidation and what to do if you're confronted and hoping that I don't scare people off. So, you know, on the one hand, as I'm listening to Attorney General Garland and uh, FBI Director Ray talk about 
what they've heard from our community and what we faced, thanking us for our service and apologizing for what we have to go through. I thought, finally, someone's listening. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it's come to this where the highest law enforcement in the United States has to be concerned about all of our safety. And it's deeply disheartening, uh, not only because we have our colleagues around the state and across the nation quitting because they just can't handle it anymore. They can't take the abuse. They can't take the threats. They can't take the stress that this puts on their families and, and on the people around them. They're frightened. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is very hard in an already high-stress environment and an environment where you receive very few thanks to continue to operate uh, in that way. So, you know, my thought was, you know, if you care about election integrity, then you care about having a cadre of election workers with experience who know the law, who know what the right to vote means, mm -hmm. who know the processes left and right, and who are willing to learn about public health, mm -hmm. about you know, contingency plans for wildfire, about de-escalation when the country is so polarized and the environment is sort of built around you hating your neighbors, right? So. I guess what I'm asking the public to do is ask us questions. You know, we are here to try to educate people, not to cram something down your throat, but to be available to answer questions and to hopefully do so in a way that's civil and to be productive about it. So I'm very glad to be here yeah. today. Well, thank you so much. And I think, you know, first I want to I think on behalf of so many, say thank you and sorry. You know, I feel sorry that that's the experience that folks that are dedicated to public service are having. So um, I'm glad that we can be here today and try to promote that civil discourse. Like I said, you know, the elections department, you both in particular, have been incredibly open and accessible to being able to answer questions. And so I think if we can promote that and, and yeah, jump into this conversation about the, the gubernatorial recall, which um, is a very interesting process. And I learned a little bit in our, in our pre-chat and how unusual of a situation we're finding ourselves in. So, um, so kind of moving into that, you know, Greg, maybe you can start us off. Can you give us a little background about just kind of California's recall process in general, maybe a little bit of the history, regulation, or context of, of the okay. recall? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, a recall. A recall is actually a power reserved to the voters to enable voters by petition to remove an elected officer. That's really the definition of a recall. Now, what happened is around the turn of the century, um, there was something called direct democracy, and that movement sort of flooded California. The voters wanted to be able to remove an official, to propose new laws, uh, to veto laws that were already existing. And so out of that desire to, to have more say in the democracy, three things were adopted on October 10th, 1911. Those three things were the initiative. The initiative is the ability to create a new law. The referendum, that's the ability to repeal or get rid of an existing law. 
and then the recall. Uh, that's the ability to remove an elected official. All three were adopted uh, in that special election, October 10th, 1911, and uh, they still remain to this day. Uh, now, Natalie and I, uh, we have some stats. I'm going to turn this over to Natalie about some stats with recall, and then we'd like to go into some of the particulars with this particular gubernatorial recall. Right, and so I was curious. I went, well, how many recalls have there been? Uh, and we don't apparently have any sort of data on local level recalls, so um, researchers, <laughs> uh, pull out your pens and uh, try to figure that out. But um, the state does actually have some data points on recalls ever since um, the initiative referendum and recall process was adopted in California. So uh, the first set of recalls occurred in 1913. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been 179 attempts to recall state officers since 1913. Uh, so that's over the past 100 years uh, or, or more. It's um, it's pretty rare. Out of those 179 attempts, 11 have made the ballot, and six recalls were successful. One of those recalls was the recall of Governor Gray Davis in 2003. He was replaced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. This will be the second attempt in state history to recall a governor. Wow. Uh, for this particular recall, on June 10th, proponents uh, started to pass around a petition uh, to get the necessary signatures. Uh, basically, uh, 1.5 million signatures were needed uh, to recall or put that question on a ballot. Uh, the petitioners ran out of time, and they went to court on November 27th asking for more time to gather signatures because of the COVID situation. Uh, the judge granted the proponents an extension of time until March 17, 2021. Proponents were able to gather the signatures uh, by March 17, uh, 2021. And then the recall started to go. You wanna continue with some more dates and timelines? Uh, sure. So, um, Ariel, uh, you you asked us to sort of tell us a little bit about the timeline. Yeah, timeline. Maybe how many candidates in the field have right. yeah. managed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have young voters. My daughter is eighteen. She mm -hmm. voted for the first time. Maybe we have young voters who want to be. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, all of this is pulled out of the elections code, but yeah. you know sometimes it is a little hard to search the elections code. Uh, so hopefully we'll make it a little bit easier. So the recall process starts with something called the notice of intent, and so the proponents of a recall, whether it be a statewide officer or a local level elected official. Uh, they have to provide a notice of intent to recall. They have to be specific about who they want to recall. And then they have to give an opportunity for the officer that they seek to recall to respond. Um, once a response is gotten, and then the proponents have 160 days to circulate that petition to sort of any qualified voter that is able to sign that petition. In this case, for a statewide recall, registered voters. And the threshold is, uh, what is it, Greg, 12% of people who voted in the last gubernatorial election? Correct. 
Yes. Um, so that's that's a lot of days, uh, just short of six months. And um, then we have to have time to verify signatures. So in a statewide recall like this one, county elections officials are asked to verify signatures of voters from that county. We have a mm -hmm. statewide voter database, but really we're depending on our local database to do that signature verification. Then we report regularly to the Secretary of State. So once March 17th came around, and that was sort of the end of the, um, the circulation period, yeah. election officials across the state had 30 days from that deadline to verify all of those signatures. Once that verification process um, sort of concluded, I think some people were surprised that there was about a six-week period for people to withdraw a signature. So uh, that, I, get, I think, gets us to uh, June the 8th, right? So yeah. from the time, uh, sometime in April, where you know, we had our 30 days, that six-week period uh, was triggered. Then the Secretary of State uh, sort of reports to the Department of Finance and to others that there are either enough signatures or not enough signatures to initiate a recall. And in this case, there were enough signatures. Uh, so there are a lot of steps before we sort of get to calling the election. And uh, there's a, a month period that the Department of Finance has to determine, okay, well, people want to recall. How much is this thing going to cost? And the state legislature gets involved and says, okay, well, how much do we need to budget for this? So some people may be familiar with the, um, uh, the fact that counties have the res primary responsibility of holding elections. With recalls, there is a provision in the code that says, well, the state pays for this in a statewide recall. So we had to submit uh, quite a bit of paperwork to show the Department of Finance how much this would cost for Nevada County, and mm -hmm. all the, the counties were doing basically the same process. So for us, we estimated something like uh, 717,000 for for this recall and um, statewide about 300 million 276 million statewide 276 million right. so um, the good news is that we got the money <laughs> it the money was budgeted. Is here. Yes. yes. Uh, so, so the the state fronts the cost for for all of that. And uh, on July first, then uh, the lieutenant governor. Normally, it's the governor in this case, but because the governor is the one being recalled, the lieutenant governor calls the election. Um, under the law, there's in between sixty and eighty days that. Uh, election officials have to actually administer the recall election. In our case, it was 75 days. This gave candidates, um, what, 15, 16 days to file for candidacy. Yes. So we've got 46 candidates on the ballot. Yes. 45 of them are actually still in the running. One of them dropped out because uh, of medical issues. Mm -hmm. And on September 3rd, we will get a list of certified write-in candidates. So if anyone wants to write in a, a certified write-in, We'll have those available at the vote centers. And um, yeah, other than that, we have. 
Can you tell um, a little bit more about that? Well, how does the certified write-in process work? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe that they've got to gather signatures. Mm -hmm. You still have to gather signatures, right. right. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to file your paperwork with the Secretary of State. I would assume that there's some financial paperwork that is involved. Uh, there are a lot of rules around campaign finance that every candidate has to follow. And yeah, they have until today, actually, today is the deadline yes. for um, someone to qualify as a certified write-in. Then the Secretary of State's office uh, determines who is certified, and they release that list to counties. So folks voting ahead of time by mail won't know who the potential certified write-ins are. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Because you can only, we'll find them out by going to the polls on September 14th. We'll know by September 3rd okay. with the, who, who is on that certified list. Okay. And this is important for the voters to know. Um, question two on the ballot asks a voter to select a replacement candidate. Mm -hmm. There is a line for a write-in. The only write-ins that we can count are the certified write-ins. We get our share of Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse, and Jake from State Farm. He's the newest big write-in. <laughs> but unless you're a certified write-in, we cannot count that, that vote. Okay. okay, so that's the importance of having a certified write-in. And also, when people come to our vote centers, uh, the list of certified write-ins is always going to be posted at the vote centers and at the root center. Is there anywhere else to get that list if people are voting? It'll be also on our website. Perfect. Yes. And on the Secretary of State's website. And on the Secretary of State's website. Okay. Yes. So we can find out about those write-ins. Um, well, that was great. I think that sort of covered that question. So, Natalie, and that's a great segue. Um, you know, I think most folks know, but can you just tell us a little bit about how to vote in Nevada County? What should we know? Yeah, sure. So the, the, one of the important things to note is that the election is on September 14th, 2021. The polls open at 7 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. But voting is going on right now. Like you had mentioned at the top, we are a Voters' Choice Act county. So that means that every registered and active voter gets a ballot. And you can return that ballot once you vote it by uh, U.S. mail. You can return it using one of the drop boxes that we have throughout the county. Or you can come in in person at a vote center and vote. Um, I will say because of the recall rules and the sort of very truncated timeline uh, of um, putting the election together, the state legislature allowed us to open fewer vote centers, mm -hmm. so we won't have all eight that we would normally have, but we are required to have three, we're opening four. And one of those is at the Rood Center, the other is at Truckee Town Hall, we have a um, vote center at Gold Miners Inn, and then a vote center over at Higgins Lions Community Center in South County. So um, you know, all of those options are available. And um, you know, I think one of the important things to know, well, there's a couple of important things. You know, one, if you didn't get your ballot in the mail by now, give us a call. Uh, we're at 530-265. 
1298 and you know we're more than happy to get you your ballot so you can vote uh, the other thing is uh, you know we mentioned wildfires before mm. and we think that there's going to be a few people who may be displaced or maybe they're uh, in other counties and coming to our county to stay with friends or family. So, you know, the important thing I think is that we, we want to help. And if you are a displaced voter and you want to know how to get your ballot back to your county, you can use any drop box in the state. You are not limited if you are a Nevada County voter to only use Nevada County drop boxes. Let's say that, you know, you are in El Dorado and, you know, unfortunately, you know, you're sort of displaced because of the Calder fire and you decide to stay in Yolo County. You can use a Yolo County drop box. And we have an obligation to get your ballot back to your county uh, within eight days of having received it. Wow. Uh, vote centers uh, will open this Saturday, uh, September 4th. Uh, two vote centers will open at the Rood Center and in East County, Truckee Town Hall. The other two vote centers open up September 11th, a week from this Saturday. And uh, that's Gold Miners Inn and down South County in Higgins. Um, when uh, vote centers are going to be open from 8 to 4 on the weekend, on election day, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you're dropping off a ballot, make sure that ballot gets dropped off at a vote center or at a drop box at least by 8 p.m. on election day. The postmark has to be 8 p.m. We will accept ballots up until a week after the election. We call it E plus seven. So uh, sometimes if a voter mails a ballot on election day, it takes time to get to our office. Uh, but the legislature extended the time from E plus three to E plus seven for this particular election. Thank you for all that. And, and that was a lot of really good information. And what a great example of kind of how nimble you have to be. And I imagine a lot of collaboration throughout the, the state around making that accessibility for, for folks that are displaced. Is all that information on your website around all the voting locations, drop boxes, hours I imagine folks can Not only that? is it on our website, um, all the voters were mailed what we call a voter information guide mm -hmm. or VIG. A voter should have received that around a week before they received the ballots. So in early August, the VIG was bailed out. Um, also, with the ballots, we do have an insert and all the location of the vote centers, phone numbers, hours, the drop boxes are all contained in that insert that will accompany the ballot. We also have a lot of this information on our social media. Oh, yeah. So uh -huh. we've got um, sort of a dedicated staff member who is focusing specifically on communicating to voters. Her name's Myra, and she's wonderful. And uh, she is very diligently making sure that everyone who follows our social media knows that you know, if they are displaced, what they can do mm -hmm. to uh, get a ballot and, and get voting. Um, she is posting about you know all kinds of sort of things that we would normally tell people over the phone, but you know social media I think gives us an opportunity to sort of communicate widely. 
um, uh, even though, you know, sometimes the social media can, uh, you know, it, it can become difficult. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is a great medium to uh, share information with people so they know what to do, where to go, when election day is, when the polls open, and when they close. Yeah, and I just appreciate all the ways, you know, we can call you, we can walk up, we can go on social media. And I have not thought to follow Nevada County elections, so I will see what's going on on the Nevada County elections Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, League of Women Voters also <laughs> on our social well, media. Well, I mean, we, we, we don't have Insta yet. Oh, just okay. we, we have the Facebook, we got the Twitter, and next we got door. the next door. Yes. Oh, fun. Okay. Well, um, and also League of Women Voters of Western Nevada County. We also share um, all this election information on our site as well, so and our social media. So, kind of as we're as we're talking about local elections, um, and it sounds like definitely a lot to do in a tight time frame. But can you talk about, you know, we were talking a little bit before about sort of this climate and um, and so just really, can you share with us a little bit about what Steps Nevada County is taking to support transparent, safe, accessible, and accurate elections? You know, the first thing we do, and, and we've done this since I came aboard, is make sure we provide notice to folks. Uh, we put something called a notice of election in the newspaper before each election, and that's telling folks the office is open, we have various processes, come and look at the processes if you want to. Come and be an observer. Uh, we're giving voters uh, locations, times, dates, and some of the processes I'm talking about would revolve around our voting machines. Uh, we do logic and accuracy testing for all the machines we use. Uh, the public is invited to come in to look at that. that. Uh, we have chain of custody procedures. Um, we cannot allow one person to handle ballots. Everyone has to team up when we're transporting ballots, when we're breaking seals, when we're counting ballots. All the chain of custody procedures are open for people to view. Um, uh, we have rules for the observers uh, to come, uh, see how we verify the signatures on, on the mail ballots, see how we extract the ballots from the envelopes. Everything is transparent and open. And I, I think that's one of the secrets uh, to our success. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, people seem to be pleased they can come in and actually view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sure you have. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, the only thing that I would say in addition to that is, you know, on an ongoing basis, whether it's at the height of an election or not, we are constantly making sure that the voter rolls are clean yeah. and that they're updated. Yes. So we get all kinds of registration forms from many different sources, from, you know, people filling out the form themselves to the DMV, to the online voter registration, and to, yeah. you know, from all the agencies that are required to offer voter registration to people. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're also making sure that we're checking the obituaries. You know, we are also the, the, the county recorder's office. We have the vitals 
at our office. Mm -hmm. We uh, get a report every month from the Department of Public Health telling us, you know, who has passed away, who we need to remove from the voter rolls. We get, you know, confidential information from the state about, you know, who should be removed for uh, being incarcerated as a felon mm -hmm. uh, or who should be, um, you know, sort of who requalifies now because, you know, they, they're no longer incarcerated or, you know, who's been adjudged mentally incompetent. Mm -hmm. We get these all the time and we are doing it constantly. I think sometimes people believe that when an election's not happening, we're just like kind of sitting back and not doing much, but and now with the alpacas only, yeah. Yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah. nothing yeah. could be further from the yeah. truth. Yeah. We no we are we are working, and you know, on occasion, enjoying pictures of Greg's alpacas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're Thank also um, in touch with the post office. Uh, national change of of uh, ownership mm -hmm. of address. Uh, forwarding addresses, uh, we keep on top of all that. Mm -hmm. It's important for voters to know we really can't do anything until we get documentation of something. If someone comes in and says, uh, old Joe down the street passed away, uh, we can't remove old Joe from the rolls. When we get a death certificate or some documentation, then we can. If people move to another state, we don't know until the people fill out a form telling us that there's been a change of residential address. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're kind of limited um, because we need to get the information from the voters. So I just wanted to let the voters know, to let us know whenever there's a change in your circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And really, I think an important point that for us to appreciate is that it's, a, it's an ongoing process of, <laughs> of ensuring the, the safety and accuracy. Well, so let's jump in. We do have some questions from the community. So it was fun. On, we were talking about social media. We got some questions through our email and social media as we let the community know about this. And I think there has been a lot of confusion and conversation you know I th that was helpful earlier that you gave us a context this is really only the second successful um, recall of, of a governor so this is somewhat unusual and and so I think voters had some questions so um, if I can just jump into those so one question was did the county do away with checking to see if our ballots have come in so if I go to where's my ballot or What's the monitoring around that? Sure. So um, we we haven't done away with anything. So right. um, uh, there there is a lookup tool, mm -hmm. and uh, we we sort of direct people to the Secretary of State's office, um, which sort of has that information. Um, where's my ballot? Is another option mm -hmm. for people to um, sort of get emails and text messages about where their ballot is in the stream. You don't have to sign up for it, but a lot of people like it. Um, they sort of like to know. Okay, well the, the elections office has received my ballot, or my ballot's in the mail. Uh, so. So it, that's just one of the other tools that are at people's disposal. And, I mean, if you, you're wondering, you can always call. We'll tell you. <laughs> we'll tell you if we got it. We, we'll tell you if, um, uh, you know, we'll, we're, you know, sort of still verifying signatures. So, um, so yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, no, we haven't done so away with checking, anything. Yeah. And this question, um, I think, Natalie, you were maybe going to take the lead on this one, too. Why are there holes in the envelope? Why are there holes in the envelope? That's, I'm glad you asked that. I have a prop. 
<laughs> okay, so so here's one of our envelopes, and in it I have one of our sample ballots that I'm folded in there, and you'll see there's the names of some people. You can see that this is a sample ballot. You know that this is not an official ballot because it doesn't have something called a watermark. Mm -hmm. uh, every election, the Secretary of State issues a watermark with a picture and a tint that we have to have on every ballot. So I, if you can see, uh, it's kind of oh, small. That, yeah. It says sample ballot uh, up on top, and it does not have the watermark, uh, just so you know. But I folded it just like all of our ballots are, are folded. And here's our envelope. And so the holes that we're referring to, there's, there, there's a few of them. So there's two here. And this is really an accessibility feature of the envelope. It helps voters with site limitations, an accessible way to find where the signature line is. You know, one of our integrity measures for every election is that we check every signature. So we put the, um, the envelopes through a machine to do sort of a first round check. And it has a camera that is sort of pointed at this area. So it's mm -hmm. really important to, to, to have the signature in, in the target area. So this really helps voters with um, sort of diminished sight to feel around and see where that Makes signature sense. is. Then there's this other hole over here on the side. This is a, basically a quality assurance measure. Greg had described earlier how we extract ballots out of the envelope. This is just a quick reference for us to see that there is no ballot in here and that we, in fact, have extracted all of the ballots that need to be extracted. So I sort of played around with this at home with my own ballot, but um, you know I voted already, so <laughs> I can't bring in my ballot, but I just want to sort of put this in here and... I don't know. Can you see if there's anything showing? I can. Nope. I mean, I can see that there's just a white. Maybe look. Looks like there's part of a letter, but I can't even tell what it would be. And this Do you is just see what, what the the letter is attached to any word or no, anything? No, it's really just white space on both. Okay. Right. Here, mm -hmm. let, let's let's get it. So I'm going to turn it around. Flip it the other way. Obviously did not rehearse this part. Oh, I thought I was <laughs> proving a point. Okay, so Let's see now. what about this? Do you okay. see? Now I see on the front I can see a BLA, and on the back I can see a THER and an NCT. Yeah, no full words. Okay. Or no selection. Oh, I certainly can't see a selection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. I see some parts of letters. All right, let's see. Let's try harder. Let me put it this way. What do you see? Once again, blank white space on this. Oh, and just a line, blank white space, and a straight line on that. Right. No marks. All right. I'm sure that if I tried hard enough, I could probably get you to see something. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what, this is a facsimile of the ballot. Here's the back. It says this page is intentionally left blank. I'm going to fold it the other way.
What about now? Yes, once again, white and white. Right. Blank. So I think if if folks are concerned about the holes in the ballot, know that you know there are a, a number of people with sight limitations who thank us for you know having an accessible way to mm -hmm. interact with the ballot. You have the option to put this in a drop box if you're concerned. Fold the ballot the other way. We we can't see anything or come to vote in person. But there are lots of options, and uh, you're you're not sort of limited it and there's not a right way to put this in the envelope unless you know you do something crazy like cut it up and then send it to us i mean i don't know um but yeah i mean there's there is a sort of quality assurance and integrity purpose and an accessibility purpose right. for for having the, the the holes in the envelope thank you for indulging me no there's thanks for <laughs> i really didn't know that but prior to this conversation i never thought about am, am i right though that there have been holes for this um, this has been a best practice for about two decades. Okay, so the uh, holes have so been there. The holes have always been there. They were there the last been election. I'm curious and thought, why are the holes? Because I didn't know it was for accessibility. And I think that's great to know and important for yeah to thought. And then and then it's one more quality assurance um, or quality check on mm -hmm. your part. But yeah. so the holes have been there for since yes. the early 2000s. Yes. Uh -huh. Ever since he's been in office. Ever since I've been here. And yeah. so and that's an important point to to fold and differently if there are concerns about privacy. So. Yeah, and this yeah. is the first I've heard. So interesting, uh, but yeah, it's interesting, come up. Huh? Isn't yeah, it? and it came up in our in our questions as well. Yeah. Okay, so another question, um, and maybe you answered part of this in, in earlier, telling us about how this works. But if I vote no to re to not recall, can I write in Gavin Newsom's name as a replacement? The recall ballot will have two contests on them, and they're really independent questions. The first question. Shall Gavin Newsom be removed? You can vote yes or no. That has no bearing on how you can answer the second question. If you choose to write Gavin Newsom in as a write-in, we cannot count that vote because we can only count certified write-ins, and Gavin Newsom is not a certified write-in. Furthermore, according to the election code, the target of a recall cannot be a replacement candidate. So I can't, I don't want to dissuade uh, voters from writing in who they want to write in, but I want to make sure voters understand that only certified write-ins can be counted by our office. Thank you. And I think that's really important because that is, there did seem to be a few questions around this issue sort of generally, but yeah. is, so I think what you said about the two contests is really helpful. So even if the person voted no on the first one, even right. if they put Gavin Newsom or Mickey Mouse the no still stands. Separate and distinct mm -hmm. contest exactly. or That's question mm -hmm. yeah. really. in the second. Right. Really important. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, no matter how you vote on the first question, yes or no, and whatever you do on the second question, it's not going to void the ballot. Okay? Thank you. A lot that of folks are thinking if I vote no and then vote for a replacement candidate, that's going to void the whole ballot. No. Question number one, we're going to count that vote. Mm -hmm. Question number two, if they pick one replacement candidate, we can count that vote. If they pick a certified write-in, we can count that vote. If they pick two candidates, that's called an overvote, we cannot count that vote. 
That was actually the next question, so we can oh, check okay. that one off. So that's great. <laughs> so what, and, and similarly, just I think we're maybe over, but we have gotten so many questions on this. So also, if someone votes yes or no and then does not put a replacement in, that um, still then that will be the second question will be considered an undervote. We wouldn't count anything because the voter did not make a mark on anything. But we'll still count but their it yes does or not no. void the ballot. The Great. first question gets gets counted. And then on that, and this was um, one of my daughter's questions as a first-time voter, who's probably done a lot of scantrons where you have to completely <laughs> fill in, the, you know, um, just out of high school. But does any mark suffice, or do the boxes need to be completely filled in? We ask that voters completely fill in the box. Uh, that said, you know, I, I, I've adjudicated a lot of ballots, and you know, basically what that means is if there's a question about the voter's intent, our voting system says, hey, you need to look at this. Um, we need to know whether this is an undervote, whether it's an overvote, or you know, whether uh, there's a mistake. So the important thing is to mark your ballot consistently. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the truth is, is that you know, if you put a check mark, an X, if you fill it in all the way, the machine is going to detect a mark. Um, where it sort of gets tricky sometimes is if um, sort of a voter starts to fill in the box and goes, oops, I didn't mean to do that. And mm. then they vote for who they intended to vote for. If that's the case, the machine will detect this is potentially an overvote here you need to review. So I will look at the ballot and I'll look at things like the consistency of marks. So if I see that a box is partially filled in but the rest of the ballot has marks where the box is completely filled in, I'm going to say, okay, well, this partial mark, it looks like they didn't intend to vote for that after all. So I'm going to resolve this ballot in favor of the voter and assume that this mark that is consistent with all of their other marks is the way that they want to vote. If I can't ascertain voter intent, then it would be an overvote. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to sort of make consistent marks. The best way that you can do that is to fill in the box all the way. Scantron approach. Yeah. yeah. No, that, thank you for that. that now, yeah, if, if there answer. are any issues with an overvote, every single overvote that comes in the office, we're, we will review manually mm -hmm. and we'll make that determination. If it's a true, if we cannot determine voter intent. Mm -hmm. We can't count the ballot. And we're not doing this alone. So there have been right. times where you know, I look at a ballot and go, you know, it's on the line. And then I ask somebody. Yeah. I say, hey, Greg, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this ballot. And I think I might know what the voter's intent is, but I'm not sure. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he'll look at it or, you know, whoever I'm partnering with will look at it. And so we'll, you know, sort of have a dialogue and, um, you know, what we do is say, you know, you can write in anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Mickey Mouse. I saw the Mandalorian the last election, right? Uh, I mean, people write in all kinds of stuff. You know, they're, you know, you could write in your biscuit recipe. The question really is, what can I count? Right. right. And, you know, if I can ascertain your intent and, you know, if that write-in is on the certified list, I will count it. Mm-hmm. But if I can't ascertain the intent, if there's you know nothing but flowers and and stuff with no uh, no marks in any target areas, then you know it's like thanks. 
that was entertaining, but I, I got to move on. I was going to too bad. It's probably <laughs> private, so you can't share the write-ins on your social media because it seems like we could have some fun. No, no, we can't do that. But, you know, I think that Massachusetts is one state where they do count anything. Mm-hmm. We don't do it in California, though. <laughs> it's, it is pretty entertaining, though, to see what people write in. Well, we hope you have a little fun while you're working so hard. I know it's a crazy <laughs> time. So kind of, this is our last question. Thank you so much. But when will results be available? When can voters expect results? And where could one access unbiased results reporting? You got this. Yeah, sure, I got this. So um, you know, I think that the most trusted uh, bits of information about elections come from the source. We are officers of a nonpartisan election office, and what we do is tabulate. We make sure that your ballots get to you, and when you vote, we tabulate the results, and we share those reports. So basically what happens on election night, we hit that button that says tabulate at 8 o'clock in one second right after the polls close, and we send a report to the Secretary of State. And it is um, called an initial report of unofficial results. Then we keep generating reports every two hours until all of our voting locations report in. Hmm. That it has been in the past uh, up to three reports. And uh, you know, as soon as we report to the Secretary of State, we post it on our website. Uh, we usually have um, members of the media who um, sort of are, are reporting out what we report. Uh, all of our reports are available on the website. And we'll continue to produce uh, updated vote counts up until certification. We have up to 30 days to certify an election. Uh, our office, because you know most people vote by mail in this county, we usually finish uh, a little sooner than 30 mm -hmm. days. Uh, yeah. uh, it's been anywhere from two and a half to three weeks after the election. So uh, yeah, we'll publish that results page soon. We'll put the results up as soon as we can after the polls close and continue to do so till we certify. The election night results are called unofficial results. Mm -hmm. At the end of our canvas period is when we release the official results for the election. Right. And so the official results come after, you know, of course, we tabulate every ballot that has come in that mm -hmm. we are able to count. We also do what's called a 1% manual tally. That is our election audit. So we'll take a, a random sample of precincts and we will count 1% of returns, mm -hmm. both in the uh, sort of vote by mail and the in-person voting. Yes. We'll make sure that you know we have a report that allows us to sort of compare what the machine counted and what we're counting manually. Though so there's teams of four that are sort of looking, one's calling out, you know, vote for candidate A and someone's tallying on a sheet a vote for candidate A. Uh, you know, one vote, yes or no. So we'll sort of go through all of that and make mm -hmm. sure that our hand count matches exactly with what the machines produced. Well, lots of checks and balances. And and, which is good, having a post-election audit. It, it, it does inspire confidence in the results. And, and we don't have any variances um, so far. Mm -hmm. Cross your fingers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but but I and think it does still, and it's open to the public. We always get observers, so it's a good thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that concludes. I feel like I've learned a I lot. I want to. Yeah, I was going to say one more. One more tidbit that yes. I'm hoping voters might be interested in. What happens after the recall election? If the majority of the voters vote yes on the first question, then the recall is successful. The replacement candidate who gets the most votes is elected for the unexpired term of the office. If 50% or more of the voters vote no on the first question, then the recall has failed and the officer will remain in office. If the current effort to recall Governor Newsom is successful, when would a new governor take office? County election officials have 30 days after the election to complete the official canvas. We just went through this. On the 38th day after the election, if the recall is successful, the Secretary of State will certify the election results and the new governor would take the oath of office and assume the position. So it would be 38 days after the election, if the recall is successful, the new governor would take office. Just a couple facts maybe folks might be interested in. Yeah, kind of important, like, and then what <laughs> after all this? Yeah, kind of the key, the key what happens next. Well, thank you again um, for, yeah, is there anything else you want to share before closing? Uh, all I would like to share is to encourage people, if you haven't voted yet, go vote. You have the option to drop that ballot off in the mail or in a drop box or come in person. If you're displaced, let us know. We will help you and you can use any drop box in the state. We will make sure that your ballot gets to its proper home. And if there are any questions that you have, please call the office or go on the election website. Our last election, uh, some of the social media sites mentioned the election is going to be on Wednesday, November 4th. And of course, the election is on Tuesday. And I'm hearing that uh, similar uh, disinformation is going to be out there for this election. The election is September 14th. If you have any questions about who, where, when, please give us a call. Thanks again. I feel like I've learned so much, but I think the bottom line that we've all learned is the accessibility of you folks. So there's no need to feel confused or disempowered around this process. Right. So I think that we learned a ton today. If you take nothing else away, call the elections department with any questions that you have. And thank you again so much for your service and, um, and your availability and expertise today. We, we feel grateful to have you guiding us through this time in Nevada County. Hey, thank and you for the opportunity. Thank this you. This is great. Yeah. Thanks to the lake. And thanks to Nevada County Media for being with us here this evening as well, and to all of you for hanging out with us. Good night. <laughs>